listening to Latin Experts, a podcast of Latino studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Latin Experts features the voices of faculty, staff, and students, as well as friends and alumni of the Department of Mexican American and Latina Latino Studies, the Latino Research Institute, and the Center for Mexican American Studies. Join us for this episode of Latin Experts. Welcome to another episode of Latin Experts brought to you by Latino Studies here at UT. I'm your host for today, Dr. Rachel Gonzalez-Martin. I'm a folklorist and associate professor of Latino Studies. I'm here at the University of Texas. So as you might know, um, it is the season for all things spooky, right? I know a lot of people think about this time of the year as pumpkin spice latte season, but I am all about Halloween and Day of the Dead. Now, if you're not familiar... U.S. Halloween in particular, I want to make sure we're, we're contextualizing our information right, is all about um, spooky times, thinking about ghosts and the paranormal. It's really an understanding of a time uh, of the year when it's assumed that there's this space that opens up um, between what we consider the world of the living and the world of the dead. Now, that's based on a lot of personal belief, right? You kind of have to buy into that. In a more mainstream sense, we're thinking about kids in costumes, trick-or-treating, going to parties, throwing parties, right? And actually, it comes from um, Western European customs of Celtic communities and, and other Native communities and histories of ritual begging. Meaning, people believe that ghosts and spirits return to the earthly plane and to keep them appeased, you have to give them things, right? So if you're familiar with the trick-or-treat mantra that a little child usually, will bring to your doorstep these days, you're literally saying they want either something sweet or they're going to do something to you. <laughs> um, and that's this idea that people believe that when spirits come back, they want something from you, right? Uh, to leave them alone, essentially. And so it's based around this kind of idea of fear. And it's really turned into sort of one of our, um, I would say, our most fun calendar customs in the United States. But just so you know, from a Latino perspective, if you didn't grow up in the United States, Halloween is a little strange. Right. So you're not exactly this isn't a custom that that is really shared hemispherically or hasn't been until more the late 20th century. So American, quote unquote, Halloween in Mexico and other parts of Latin America isn't as popular as it is here. Right. It's very much a U.S. based tradition that comes from a blending of, you know, the United States Western European colonial history um, mixed with other sort of consumer models. But it's a good time. So today what we're doing is tackling one of my most favorite topics, which are paranormal stories. So I get it. People are highly skeptical of anything that's out of the ordinary, right? People claiming they can't see it or touch it, engage it directly in the senses, or that science can't explain it, that it couldn't possibly be real. But I grew up in a household, a Latino household, where my grandmother read tarot cards at the kitchen table. And I was always dying to know what was going on in that situation. I was a little girl. And so children weren't allowed in part of this process. So I took it very seriously because it wasn't a game. My grandmother believed in spirits. She believed she could speak to the dead. It was part of just what I grew up with. And so even as we think about growing up and the stories that we've heard, the supernatural is kind of all over Latino folklore and Latinx culture. And when I think about it as an intellectual, right, personally, I believe because I think anything is possible. I think that's part of, of being an open-minded intellectual. 
But also, I think that there's something about living in diaspora, being part of Latino communities, communities that are rooted in faith, different forms of spirituality, but also communities that deal with a great a great amount of oppression culturally and socially, or have been, particularly we're thinking about communities in migration, there is something very hopeful about believing that there's something beyond this material world, right? There's something else, something that maybe we can't experience in the moment, um, something that happens maybe after we die. And so it's that kind of level of, of thinking about why these stories appeal to Latino communities that I find so fascinating, right? Why does our community have this penchant for the uncanny, for the mysterious, for the frightening, but also for the extraordinary? And I think that speaks this idea of, of this desire for hope and possibility. So today what I'm going to be doing is just sharing some audience stories they're called, um, from my perspective as a folklorist, they're called, we're calling them encuentros. So encuentros are first person accounts of the supernatural. And it's that first person element that's really important because we're having people share intimate details of their life, particularly exposing these moments of fear. And that's really powerful. And so f- some of these examples, it's a singular event, one experience that they've had and they've, they've decided generously to share with us. And others are these patterns of experiences, right, that are linked to places. So we're going to go into these stories now, and I hope you enjoy. Our first story comes from Yolanda. My older brother grew up in Guanajuato, Mexico. San Felipe Torres Mochas, to be exact. The story goes that La Llorona is quite comfortable with appearing at any time. When my brother was little, he would often go with my grandmother, my grand-aunt, and his padrino, or godfather, to one of the haciendas that still exists outside of San Felipe. One of those is the Hacienda de Jarral de Berrios, which was built in the late 1700s and which was rumored to have buried clay jars with gold coins. On one occasion, they left the hacienda late, and by the time they got to the road, it was already dark. They had to walk by a stream where women would wash clothes during the day. At night, though, it was scary looking because there were no lights. As they were walking by, a woman appeared in front of them, a woman with long black hair. As they walked towards her, my brother's padrino took him and wrapped him up inside his jacket and told him to close his eyes and not to open them until he told him to. They would try to get past her and she would block their way. They continued that way and then she moved toward the water and disappeared. They heard her call out, Ay, mis hijos! as they hurried away from there. The story went that anyone that tried to catch up with her and touch her hair She would turn around, but her face was not a human, but that of a horse. And if she caught up with your kids, she would try to take them into the water. Our next story comes to us from Daisy, who's a native of San Antonio, Texas. My family has lived in San Buenaventura, Coahuila, Mexico, since the 1800s. Every New Year's, our tradition was to drive from San Antonio to visit my tío and tía at their house in Samuena, 
and then hang out at their ranch in Nadadores. My hubby and I were sleeping in one of their bedrooms at the ranch in separate twin beds. During the night, while we both were asleep, I heard what sounded like footsteps. The light went on in the bathroom that was connected to the room, and I heard the toilet flush. I thought it was my hubby, but when I turned to look at the other bed, he was still asleep in it. Needless to say, I freaked out and jumped into the tiny twin bed with him because there was no way in hell I was sleeping alone anymore. Now, mind you, this particular toilet used a push-button system to flush, so no one could explain how it flushed on its own, except that it was a ghostly visitor. So our next examples are a pattern of behaviors linked to living in a haunted house. These were submitted to us by Krista from Austin, Texas. My grandmother's house has been standing since the 1930s in what was once a quiet area of South Austin. It is surrounded by large, looming trees. As a child, we spent a lot of time there. Though I was very small, I can recall my first paranormal experience like it was yesterday. I was about four years old. I was very attached to my mother, and I would follow her throughout the house. One dark night, she asked me to wait for her outside the bathroom door. I began to cry. I wanted to be there with her. I sat on the floor in the small hallway dining area. My family had put a toy chest in the area for me. My mother and grandmother demanded that I put away my toys and wait for my mom. Frustrated, I began throwing the toys into the chest one by one. I threw them all as hard as I could. I have chills just from typing this. Suddenly, a thin arm rose from the toy chest and threw the last toy right back at me. I sprinted to my grandmother in the front room to tell her what I saw. She had always seen and heard things since she moved into the house in the 1970s. My little brown face was pale with fear. She believed me. While it was once a terrifying experience, we now think that the spirit was just tired of hearing my tantrum. When I was getting ready for school one day in our bathroom, I heard my little sister speaking to my grandmother in the living room down the hall. Why did that happen to them? My grandmother always watched the news in the morning. I figured they were talking about a tragic story. I walked to my room that I shared with my mother and sister to grab something. To my surprise, my sister and mother were there together, getting ready. How did you get back here so fast? I asked my sister. She looked at me confused. I haven't left the room. I ran to the living room to find it empty. My grandmother was sitting outside, quietly smoking a cigarette with her morning coffee. My grandmother's husband was a very loud, cranky man, but he worked hard every day. He would often have to lean on pieces of furniture to take breaks to get from one room to another. He had been out of the hospital before he died. He left us on Thanksgiving Day and died on her front porch. It was a very sad time. One day, weeks later, I was quietly sitting 
on a small indoor bench in my grandmother's living room reading a book. I felt the bench wiggle a little. I knew I hadn't moved, and I had a feeling I wasn't alone. I sat quietly waiting for another sound. Sure enough, I heard my grandmother's bed frame creak and wiggle, even though I was alone. Just like before, I knew it was him making his way to the kitchen. This is our final story I'd like to share, again from Krista. My son was very young and learning to speak. One day he wouldn't stop saying what I thought was, Ango Mo. It made no sense, so I left it alone. Over the next few months, every time our smoke alarm went off, my son would say, Ungo malt. His speech became stronger, and I soon realized he was saying, Uncle Mark. We have no family or friends with that name. He shared with me that Uncle Mark would visit him and play with him in his room. He told his daycare teacher that Uncle Mark would also sit in the car with us and wait until we got back in to go home. I would listen when he shared and asked if he was nice and kind, which my son said he was. Months went by without any mention of Uncle Mark. Suddenly, when we were together in an H-E-B parking lot, my son jumped up in his car seat with excitement. Mom, I see Uncle Mark. He's in that car over there. And he's found his family. So folks, I hope you've enjoyed um, the stories that I've shared today. And I'm extremely grateful to our collaborators, Daisy and Yolanda and Krista, for sharing their stories with us. Just to put it in perspective, right? Thinking about these stories is extremely powerful, but it's also a lot of fun, right? In our first story, um, if you're familiar uh, with La Llorona or the La Llorona stories, we had both La Llorona and a motif of the story called La Ciguanaba. It's a shape-shifting half-woman, half-horse, which is part of a Central American uh, legend cycle. Our second story is what we would call a memorat, which is about personal beliefs, right? And particularly stories that make us believers. And our last set of stories, right, we have these what would seem like lifelong experiences that are connected to sort of a place and time, right? So as we enter this, you know, early fall season and everyone is thinking about Halloween costumes or even creating altars at home for Day of the Dead, now is the time when the walls between the living and the dead thin. So it's your turn to listen and watch. Hi, all. This is Ashley Nava Monteros, the Communications Associate at Latino Studies. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to check out the Latino Studies Instagram page. Follow us at Latino Studies UT to keep the conversation going.